Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's the Alternative? I'm your Tyler, you're the listener, and I'm your host, Tyler Herman. And as I record episode 39 of this podcast, it is February 6th, 2022, on a gorgeous Sunday afternoon. I hope that you're all having a good week. Hope that uh, everything is going going all right in the beginning of your year is nice so far. Um, I'm really excited to talk more about some electric vehicle news, and I think we can kind of just jump into it. Only a small bit of housekeeping today, just to thank everybody who supports on Patreon. That is a new thing. That is uh, kind of bonkers that that's a thing, but it's it's a lot of fun, and I really, really appreciate that support. You do not have to support there. Just sharing the podcast or just listening to it is perfectly fine. But if you do want to support, that does exist now. There's a link down in the description, and a big thanks especially to executive producer Chris. Thank you so much for all the support. And the other item is that there will be a guest episode coming out very soon about kind of climate change and how that's going to affect plant life and agriculture and ecology and all that sort of stuff. That's a really fun episode. I'm really looking forward to to putting that one out there. It's a little bit off the beaten path from what this podcast is usually about, but I'm okay with that. Uh, I think that's a lot of fun. And it's one of those examples where I get to learn a ton kind of along with with you. And and I think that's a lot of fun personally. So uh, you have that to look forward to in your podcast feed probably sometime this week. Um, not exactly sure yet. Still working on editing and all that sort of stuff. So with that, let's just jump right into the news for this episode. So we've got some fun EV news. Global EV sales doubled in volume from 2019 to 2020, which is awesome. But they nearly quadrupled in their share of light duty vehicle sales. So, uh, in 2019, light-duty vehicles, um, electric vehicles, were like 2.5 or so percent of the global like market. And in 2020, it was 8.6%, which is an absolutely massive increase. Now, um, that's just really exciting on its own. The article goes into some more stuff, and some of it I just don't really care about. Um, but the really exciting thing to me here is that this is getting more butts and seats in electric vehicles, right? We're having more more first-time EV owners, which is a really big deal uh, just in general. But also, I know of a couple of companies who started purchasing electric vehicles in the last year or two during the pandemic because, like, purely because they couldn't get their hands on uh, gas vehicles due to, like, the chip shortages and all that sort of stuff. And EVs that had been sitting on the lot for a while were the vehicles that were available. So they purchased them. You know, they need something to drive around. They need fleet vehicles or whatever have you. And since they've gotten those vehicles and have driven them around more and have gotten used to them, I know a couple of companies who are like, oh, these are really, really good vehicles. Um, And they kind of fell in love with electric vehicles kind of by force because they had to to try these vehicles out um, due to the chip uh, chip shortages and, and availability and all that. And so it's kind of neat that I think we may see more and more of that where sort of being forced into an electric vehicle is going to change hearts and minds in a way that maybe would have been slower otherwise. So this sort of like gigantic increase in in light duty vehicle sales is is really, really uh, exciting to me. Um, I think it's going to really just snowball and kind of tumble until it's just a normal thing. So very exciting news. And we'll see uh, what what 2021 holds whenever we get that data. So we've got a little bit of news from Tesla (laughs) this time around. So Tesla has their full self-driving beta, right, that you can pay like 12 grand for, and it'll mostly drive you around with, you know, some major caveats. And kind of interesting story came out of the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, as well as some like tweets on, on Twitter, where 
it, it came out that these vehicles were like literally programmed to do rolling stops at stop signs. So this is maybe not like the worst thing in terms of what laws to break, but um, it's not exactly fun. So here in the United States, you have to come to a complete full stop at every stop sign before you start moving again. And if these vehicles didn't see a car coming, you know, in the cross traffic, they were programmed, this like was in the the car's code, to only go down to like two miles per hour. Um, Elon even like tweeted about this. So it's like an intentional decision to not come to a complete stop at, at stop signs. No, I mean, you could argue like, well, you know, it was safe because there wasn't another vehicle coming. Um, but first and foremost, it's illegal. So they have to change it. NHTSA um, put out a mandatory, mandatory recall of that software and they have to change it. So that's all beside the point. But also, you know, what if it just doesn't see a car coming? I mean, it's not perfect. You know, the AI isn't completely perfect. It may just miss it. Or it may be a, a blind intersection where you, uh, you know, kind of can't see because of some bushes or something like that. If it doesn't see a car because it's obscured, maybe that's going to cause some problems. I just think it's like a really big safety issue. Uh, and I'm glad that they're fixing it. I just think it's hilarious, though, that it was literally programmed to break the law. Like, that's kind of bonkers. So something like 50,000 Teslas are going to get a software update, probably just over the air, real simple stuff to um, to remedy that. But I just thought it's kind of a hilarious story. It's, um, it's, just a, it, it's just wild. That's a weird set of decisions that led to that. And then we also got some news out of Tesla that they're definitely not working on a $25,000 EV right now. Now, it came out a while back whenever they had their battery day last year that Elon was, said something on stage to the effect of, this new battery technology, the new cell form factor that they're going with, um, will enable much cheaper EVs and that they would work on a, a cheaper $25,000-ish electric vehicle. Um, and now he said that they're, they're not doing that. And the justification he gives is, again, it's kind of bonkers to me, is basically that it's not necessary to have cheap electric vehicles if fully autonomous vehicles are a thing. Which, on the surface, like, I get it, Right. If your vehicles are completely autonomous, then we don't have to have this kind of current model of everybody owns their own vehicle, which I know isn't common in every country, but it's very much the case here in the United States in most parts of the country. And um, yeah, you can kind of have those vehicles shared between owners because it can you know leave you whenever you don't need it and go pick up somebody else and drive them around when they need it. And you can get this kind of shared model or like robo taxis as, as people keep calling them. Now, this is kind of like planning for a future that's probably not going to happen in the next decade. Uh, where we land on whether or not autonomous vehicles are happening soon is definitely up to like personal interpretation. I don't think it's going to happen anytime in the next decade or so. Uh, and then you have to have like enough of these vehicles on the road that are capable of doing this and doing it for that to like negate the value of having a cheaper electric vehicle. I don't know. I think this is just one of those kind of like, yeah, you can justify it or whatever and not have to work on the vehicle. It's not really that big of a deal. I just thought that justification was like a little bit odd. Just a little bit odd. So we got some news out of GM. They are targeting 1 million electric vehicles sold annually by 2025. And that includes 600,000 electric trucks annually by 2025. That's That's kind of a lot, right? Um, that's a lot of vehicles, especially considering GM isn't really selling a huge number of EVs right now. So that's going to have a pretty big ramp up in production. And along with that, um, GM and LG Kim, the battery manufacturer, are building a joint $2.1 billion battery plant, which will be their third plant that they own together out of a planned four plants that they're going to have. 
Now, this one is likely to be built in Michigan. The announcement didn't actually like specify, but GM just recently, in the last week or so, announced a $7 billion investment in EV production in Michigan. So it seems fairly reasonable that these two things are related bits of news, but I don't think it's it's completely solid yet. At least I haven't seen that. But either way, that's, you know, $7 billion invested in EVs um, in the very near term with GM. So I like seeing these moves. I like seeing moves towards battery production kind of vertically integrated with the company as well. As I've mentioned many times before, if you're serious about making EVs, you need to be serious about owning the battery supply chain. Now, Ford uh, is expecting to build 150,000 of their electric transit vans, which I've talked about several times in the show, uh, annually, starting in 2023. So that's 150,000 per year in 2023, which is next year. That's very soon. Uh, They just started deliveries like at the end of last year, beginning of this year. So getting that up to that 150,000 is a pretty big deal uh, starting in 2023. And they're really expecting that to generate a lot of, of profit. The CEO of Ford, Jim Farley, says that he expects just the e-transit van to generate $45 billion of revenue by 2025, which is kind of a a massive uh, number. So just this kind of relatively small volume compared to like their trucks and and Mach-E and everything is expected to be pretty big moneymaker for them. So yeah, they're they're making those moves. In our daily dose of skepticism, we have Foxconn um, claiming that they are still on track to deliver Lordstown Motors trucks in the second half of 2022. Now, I mentioned uh, the story of Foxconn kind of took over a lot of ownership of Lordstown Motors production back in 2021. And now they say, yeah, we're still on track to deliver vehicles in the second half of 2022. I'm like super skeptical about this. Um, I'm a little bit bearish on Lordstown Motors in general. I mean, I want them to succeed. I want more electric trucks on the road. I want more electric vehicles on the road. Uh, I don't like seeing companies fail. But, you know, they've got a shaky history. Um, And I'm really curious to see where this goes. If if they deliver vehicles in the second half of this year, I'll be very, very impressed. But, um, yeah, it's not... It hasn't been looking great from my perspective. Now, companies that are looking pretty good from my perspective, uh, Proterra will be providing batteries to yet another bus manufacturer, Vicinity Motor Company. Uh, They've made a lot of these deals recently, providing batteries and powertrains to other vehicle manufacturers. And uh, this is just yet another example. So Vicinity is going to be rolling out class three and class five trucks that'll be powered by these batteries. So these are kind of like the medium to uh, heavy duty vehicles. And this agreement covers a minimum of 600 vehicles, which is not very many, but, you know, it's a number. Proterra is selling some of their their tech. Proterra is an interesting company in this space because they are not like a traditional bus manufacturer. They kind of started out as a a battery and and powertrain manufacturer that decided to make buses with with those products. And um, yeah, this kind of looks like they're leaning towards that direction of let's, let's sell the tech that we make and we'll... They'll probably keep making buses. I see no reason that they would stop that. But um, it seems like they're making a lot of their moves in the direction of selling the the powertrain and the batteries. So we have Firestone, the auto care chain. Um, they're part of Bridgestone. They're going to be uh, beginning rolling out electric vehicle services and kind of really expanding what they can do with electric vehicles and servicing vehicles, starting in Austin, Texas and in San Francisco, California. Now, this also includes installing a bunch of charging stations at those new locations. Uh, I think it's at 25 locations or so. And this is in partnership with Blink Charging. 
So yeah, they're kind of moving towards actually setting up a an ecosystem for repairing electric vehicles that is not going to be like dealer owned, which is a kind of a great thing. We don't really have much of that right now. And as we get more EVs on the road, I mean, you need to be able to service them somewhere, right? I know that EVs require proportionately less maintenance, but they still do require maintenance and stuff's going to go wrong. So having this kind of third party uh, ecosystem of maintenance and repair places is is very very important and I'm I'm glad to finally see that happening. I don't think I've I've heard of another story doing this or another um company doing this in the recent history. And the last bit of direct EV news I have for you is that Boeing is investing 450 million dollars in an autonomous electric air taxi company called Whisk. Uh I'm still very skeptical of these like electric air taxi companies, you know, vertical takeoff and landing electric vehicles that'll uh, pick people up and bring them around towns and that sort of stuff. But that's a pretty big investment from Boeing. So maybe we'll actually see something coming of that. Um, or maybe it's just a little bit speculative in the, in the early days. Who knows? Now, I've got some deployment news for you this week. Uh, Proterra and Scale Microgrid Solutions are partnering to install a solar plus storage plus charging station for the Santa Clara Valley Transportation Authority. Uh, this project will come online in late 2023, so two years from now or so, and it'll have a 1.5 megawatt uh, solar setup and four megawatt hours of battery storage. That's a pretty big project for what's basically a single fleet. Um, but electric buses are, are thirsty for that electricity, so, so that's a lot. Uh, they will also install two 1.5 megawatt chargers for the bus, and this is an interesting one for me because 1.5 megawatt scale charging is is bonkers. It's not super clear from the story whether this is you know a charger that is providing 1.5 megawatts to a single bus or if it's like a two-port charging station that can charge multiple buses at one time. It's not really all that clear at the moment to me, but if it's 1.5 to a single to a single bus, that's that's a lot of power. That's that's a crazy amount of power. And then this will support their 34 electric transit buses, which is awesome. That's a lot of buses. So it's kind of a neat little project. I'm liking seeing the renewables plus storage plus charging all in kind of one little ecosystem. I think that's a really cool idea and it's neat to see. We have the electric bus manufacturer, Gimilong, which will deliver 140 electric school buses to districts in California. It's not super clear which districts are getting these buses yet, but we will soon see 140 new electric school buses on the road in California. It's very exciting. Iowa City has deployed four new electric transit buses, uh, and this is out of their total um, bus fleet of 27 buses, so they have 23 diesels on the road. And the interesting, interesting part of the story is that they cost $4.5 million in total. So that's a little bit over a million dollars per bus. And um, that does include charging equipment, but that is still, that's a hefty cost. Luckily, they had some federal transit um, transit authority money there. It's an 80% match sort of thing. But yeah, that's a lot of money. Union Pacific Railroad has purchased 20 battery electric trains, which will be deployed in 2024, uh, and they claim that they're going to have 8,000 tons of greenhouse gas reductions annually as a result. I thought that number was kind of interesting, 8,000 tons of greenhouse gas reductions for 20 trains seems actually like a lower result than I would have expected, but trains, you know, they're they're pretty efficient. Um, rail is a, a very, very efficient way of transporting goods around. And maybe these are also not like driving very long distances. These are probably uh, yard cars, you know, that are mostly moving stuff around 
locally. So that's probably playing into the um, the low-ish amount of greenhouse gas reductions. But still, 8,000 tons, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's annually. That's pretty pretty good. So very exciting to see that sort of stuff. And exciting to see electrification coming to uh, industries like rail. That's really, really exciting. And then speaking of electrification coming to other industries, we have a fully electric paving machine that is now in service in the Netherlands. This is just one vehicle. Uh, it's not a huge deployment, but again, it's it's putting battery electric vehicles in very, very strenuous environments that are kind of new, um, kind of new grounds to be breaking. So it is pretty exciting. So it has a 270 kilowatt hour battery pack, which is something on the order of, you know, three Tesla Model S's worth of battery, and it can operate 10 hours on a charge. Now, the, the really cool figure from this is that it'll save 150 liters or 40 gallons of diesel per day. So that's, that's a pretty significant, um, that's a pretty significant savings. I'd be curious to see more of these, especially on like a government fleet, so we can get some data on the costs, because uh, there wasn't any of that from the articles that I saw. Um, but, you know, saving 40 gallons of diesel a day, I can, I can pretty easily see making a return on investment for those sorts of installations or those sorts of deployments. So that's really exciting. So I've got some renewable energy news for you this week. A wind farm company, Vattenfall, is painting one blade on seven of its turbines black to attempt to reduce bird strikes. So I think we may have talked about this before, but there was a Norwegian study a while back that found that painting a single blade on a turbine black reduced bird strikes by 70%, which is a massive reduction. Now, this Dutch location is going to try and recreate these results. This is another study, uh, and it's doing it on seven of its of its turbines, seven of its wind turbines. So it's really exciting to see like recreation um, or recreation validation type studies being done, um, especially for something that's kind of as promising as this, something as simple as painting one turbine black. I don't really know if there are many negatives to doing that, apart from maybe a little bit of cost. But if it can reduce the effect on on local bird populations by 70%, I mean, that that's massive, right? That's really, really big. Now, this is all coming with the fact that, like, windmills aren't actually that dangerous for birds. It's kind of been overblown, um, blown, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, in, in the media and by politicians and all that sort of stuff. There's actually an interesting study by... Um, a while back that found that like the per terawatt hour of energy production like bird strike or bird bird fatality rate of wind is like incredibly low the highest is coal because it takes into account stuff like pollution uh those sorts of effects on bird populations also like steam from electric generation not terribly good for birds they run through it or if they run into the towers and all that sort of stuff so like it's not that big of a deal like turbines aren't that bad um it's pretty pretty low fatality rate but Either way, uh, even if it isn't the largest um, killer of birds, if it's still killing birds, we should reduce that as much as possible. And if it's something as simple as painting one turbine uh, blade black, um, then let, let's do it, right? Let's minimize our impact. So Florida Power and Light, a utility out in Florida, started operations of a 75-megawatt solar farm in McDavid, Florida at the end of 2021. It's really exciting. Uh, company LPL Solar is building a 345-megawatt solar farm here in Louisiana. We do not have very much solar so far, so this is very exciting. And then CRC Arkansas now has 100 megawatts of solar generation along with a 30-megawatt battery storage facility, um, which again, very exciting. I like solar and storage. So that's all the energy deployments. And then I've got two quick policy items for the day before we close out. We have... Um, some news that was coming out, and this is something that I'm very familiar with with my line of work, 
the infrastructure bill that passed that has all these chargers that are hopefully going to be deployed on the roads and that sort of stuff. It has with it a, it's called a Buy America requirement. Now, this basically requires that some percentage, usually like something like 80 or 90% or whatever, of a given product that is purchased through these federal dollars has to be made in America. So this is a really big impediment to the EV industry right now because very, very few EV chargers or EV, well, electric vehicles have or meet those requirements, meet the Buy America requirements. And this is kind of continuously posing a really big threat for the infrastructure bill for things being built out very quickly because we need to get more EV manufacturers or EV charger manufacturers certified as Buy America compliant um, in order to get these these chargers installed and purchased and such. So the article linked in the show notes is just kind of going over the Buy America requirements and how this is kind of causing a lot of problems. And I will say, uh, again, I don't represent my employer remotely, but I've been in several meetings that discuss the infrastructure bill as it pertains to the Buy America requirements or the other way around. And um, yeah, it's a really big concern that that people have. And uh, I think I only know of two or so EV charging manufacturers that meet Buy America requirements. So not not very many, not very many options. And the last story I have for you today is one that I'm not going to talk a huge amount about this time around because I'm still learning. Um, but Louisiana officially has an agreed upon climate action plan. So this has been in the works for a while. Um, Governor Jean Bel Edwards here in Louisiana um, set out this this climate action task force at the beginning of last year that had, um, or is it end of 2020? that had the the task of producing a climate action plan to figure out how Louisiana is going to meet the Paris Agreement requirements and all that sort of stuff for reaching net zero by 2050. Um, and we have a, a plan. It was The draft plan was published a, a few weeks ago, and the governor has officially signed it off, and we have an official climate action plan. There is both an executive summary and a link to the full plan down in the show notes below. Um, but it has some, you know, we want to do all this stuff with like hydrogen and heavy industry. That's a, a, one of the big pillars. Another one is, you know, vehicle electrification plus renewables on the grid. Uh, some carbon capture called out in there. Um, a lot of stuff about uh, equity called out in the plan. And the executive summary is pretty good. So I definitely recommend you, you give that a look if you're interested. Um, but I'll be reading through the full plan in the coming weeks. And I may or may not have more to say about it there. But it's exciting that we actually have something at all on the books um, in terms of climate action here in Louisiana. That's um, that's very exciting news for us. And then one thing that the plan does call out specifically is five gigawatts of offshore wind power in Louisiana, which, as you know, I love me some offshore wind and I love the idea of having it in our Gulf. So that being called out very particularly makes me very excited. And that's all I have for you today. So thank you as always for listening. If you have any feedback for me, you can find me on Twitter at ArchDukeTyler. You can find me on Patreon. Uh, What's the alternative? It's simple enough to find. And uh, thank you everybody who supports the podcast and thank you for listening. And uh, with that, I bid thee adieu. You can listen to me uh, speak again anytime in your podcast player because you can re-listen to episodes. But you can listen to me speak newly again whenever my next episode comes out and you inevitably listen again. Because let's be honest, what's the alternative? (laughs) 